the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Thursday, May 19th, 2022. There was once a well-known professor of philosophy at Oxford University in England, John Alexander Smith, who told his students the following, quote, Gentlemen, you are now about to embark on a course of studies that will form a noble adventure. Let me make this clear to you. Nothing that you will learn in the course of your studies will be of the slightest possible use to you in afterlife, save only this that if you work hard and intelligently, you should be able to detect when a man is talking rot. And that, in my view, is the main, if not the sole, purpose of education, to know when a man is talking rot. Hold that thought a moment. You know a lot of us in the education reform movement love to talk about choice in education, giving parents choice, sometimes even credits or vouchers or savings accounts to send their children to private schools, if not some other school that their family isn't assigned to. But choice can be meaningless if the other schools are no better or even worse than the assigned school. And private schools are not immune from sometimes being worse. They can be more expensive, of course. They can be outside the government's control, of course, but they can teach rot, a lot of rot. And several here do, including one of the most prominent private schools in our area. And when you teach a kid rot, you are not training up a child in the way he should go. You are training up a child to be a learned ignoramus or worse, perhaps a menace to society in Theodore Roosevelt's wording. Someone who perhaps can perform great math skills or conjugate Latin verbs and tenses beautifully, but whose mind and moral and factual matters about the world is disoriented. It's a sad thing when people pay good money to actually warp a child's brain. Think about that when you think about what education has come to, actually harming children's intellectual abilities and pursuits. It has come to me from several parents that one of these schools is trying to teach about bigotry, American bigotry, recent American bigotry. The launching pad for this lesson, so to speak, if you can call it that, is a discussion of the history of the Catholic Church's relationship and role in bigotry. So, of course, what do they do? They take a non-Catholic you may have heard of named Tucker Carlson and put an equal sign, you know, the equal sign at the end of his name where the other side says, quote, today's father, Charles Coughlin, close quote. Now, you may not know who Charles Coughlin was. He was a prominent priest and broadcaster in the 1930s. He was more than that. According to the Encyclopedia of the Holocaust, in the days and weeks after Kristallnacht, Coughlin defended the Nazi violence. He argued that Kristallnacht was justified as retaliation for what he called Jewish persecution of Christians. He explained to his listeners on November 20th, 1938, that the, quote, communist government of Russia, the Lenins and Trotskys, atheistic Jews and Gentiles, murdered more than 20 million Christians and had stolen $40 billion of Christian property, close quote. For years, 
Coughlin publicly derided international bankers, his phrase that most of his listeners understood to mean Jewish bankers. In a series of articles published in 1938, Coughlin lambasted Jewish financiers and their control over world politics. These articles culminated with a story recounting his own version of the infamous Protocols of the Elders of Zion, this anti-Semitic publication falsely purporting to be minutes from a meeting of Jewish leaders who were plotting to take over the world. You can still get that book in the Middle East. So the analog today for this crap of a lesson is Tucker Carlson. You can get away with that if you are either really stupid and have no business teaching anything, or if you are so completely ideologically purblind that you think it your job to propagandize students to a political position of your choice while ignoring the real bigotry and anti-Semitism to do so, in which case you have no business calling yourself a teacher or an institution that allows this, a place of preparation for college, for the world, or anywhere else. Well, not anywhere else. There are precincts that would welcome this junk thought, this rot, They just happen to be in countries where women aren't allowed to teach and sometimes even go to school. So to go after Tucker and to compare him to a man who fueled Hitler's sympathy in America, they have a slide that not only equates the two with pictures of Tucker and an equal sign. They write, quote, anti-Semitism, George Soros, parentheses, a Jewish man, close parentheses, international forces have secret influence on politics and finance. Then they state the name of a retired colonel who they say is a well-known anti-Semite who was evidently a guest on Tucker's show as their best example of Tucker embracing this. Where to start? This is a profanation of education. It's a profanation of fact and anything remotely called or to be considered instruction. Let's work backward. The retired colonel is a well-known anti-Semite. Well-known to who? I've been involved in fighting anti-Semitism and other forms of bigotry my entire adult life, even led protests against it both in college, graduate school, and law school. I'd never heard of this colonel. So well known is he, neither did the three prominent community rabbis I called and asked today about him. So I did look him up. The chief of staff of the Israeli army, known as the IDF, I did see, not only invited this man to lecture in Israel to his troops, but made this man's book required reading for his officer's staff. This same well-known anti-Semite made a lot of news, evidently, in supporting Israel's annexation of the Golan Heights. Some anti-Semite trying his best to protect Israel, and so much so the Israeli defense forces brought him into their country to give them his assistance. If that's anti-Semitism, Martin Luther King is, as Cesar Chavez is, a racist, and Hillary Clinton is a Republican. But, you know, we live in a world where prominent and truly well-known people working for the American Broadcasting Corporation can say and double down on saying that Adolf Hitler was not a white supremacist. And here I thought we were trying to improve knowledge in America. What we have come to when private schools and major current events shows call the sun the moon and the ocean the desert We're in the deep soup, except it's all quite much more dangerous than that because we are doing this with positions of authority while playing on the worst sentiments and fears of racial and discriminatory assault, which do have consequences, real ones, horrible ones. As for him being well known, 
when he is pretty much unknown and certainly not well-known for anti-Semitism? I wonder if this school still teaches others who are well-known, like Emerson, as in Ralph Waldo. Sorry to spell it out so pedantically, but I'm wondering what these so-called educators know about anything or anyone anymore. In one of his truly well-known essays, Emerson writes, quote, A man's power to connect his thought with its proper symbol and so to utter it depends on the simplicity of his character, that is, upon his love of truth and his desire to communicate it without loss. The corruption of man is followed by the corruption of language, close quote. Everything about that quote needs to be reinstantiated in our schools, or at least this one. What love and truth and integrity of character takes someone whose politics they don't agree with and grafts onto him the appellation of anti-Semite using inapt analogies all to weaponize children? I'm reminded right now of Hannah Arendt's concern about progressive education when she wrote that too many adults have resigned their adulthood's responsibility for the world into which they have borne their children and refuses the duty of guiding them into it. She then asks, have we now come to the point where it is the children who are being asked to change and improve the world as we intend to have our adult political battles fought out in their schoolyards? Yes, it is. And to do so, we must educate them and put stumbling blocks in front of those who cannot see and curse those who cannot hear. I wonder if this school even knows where that line comes from. We use children to soothe the anxieties and immaturities and political concerns of adults now, evidently. That's what we do here. It's not education. It's indoctrination. And if there is a template for it, yeah. It's regimes of authoritarianism and tyranny from China to the USSR to Cuba to a lot of other sewer countries, which I thought, silly me, was what the purpose of lesson plans like this were designed to not only avoid but condemn so that it is not repeated here. But by adopting not only the strategies of those reproofs of history but also their loose affiliations and connections to fact – with ideologies that are actually responsible for killing minorities through the efforted use of propaganda, we are teaching and training exactly that which we claim we are against. You can call this a lot of things. Good or liberal education is not among them. For the corruption of man is indeed preceded by the corruption of language. That's how the communists and the Nazis did it. That's why George Orwell wrote his books. Do they teach him anymore? Maybe they don't. Maybe they just excuse teaching him by calling him an anti-Semite, too. Just hobgoblinize he or she you disagree with so as to avoid thought or instruction in or about their actual thoughts and words. That's how Nazis truly did it, and communists, too. As for this little drive-by they start the lesson with, naming George Soros and putting in parentheses that he's a Jew, that's not something Tucker Carlson said, though they attribute it to him. So they add words to what Tucker Carlson said in order to condemn him. Think about that. Creating and inventing something in order to confute and convict it. One used to call that not liberal education, but Gestapo tactics. What am I speaking of? Well, George Soros is a menace to many politically. He has a lot of well-financed networks, and he and his son do not apologize for them or shrink from funding them in order to fund a lot of liberal left-wing or progressive causes. It's just not disputed. I've known of him for years. I think my first understanding of him was about 25 years ago when I was researching his funding of efforts to legalize drugs. 
What I did not know then and did not know until about 12 years ago was that he was, in fact, born Jewish. In other words, the only people who instructed the world that he was born Jewish, born Jewish, not practicing, not identifying himself, the only people who made that an issue were his supporters in order to say any criticism of his politics was criticism of his being Jewish. Imagine that. Bill Crystal and David Galerter and David Horowitz and Mark Levin and Dennis Prager and Michael Medved and Ruth Weiss and the entire board of Commentary Magazine condemn and criticize George Soros routinely. They all identify as committed Jews and practice Judaism, so they must be anti-Semites for going after Soros, who the left keeps reminding us is Jewish after all. Do we not get to criticize people who happen to have been born Jewish, but whose politics and policies and public personas have nothing to do with their Judaism? Let's see. There'd be a lot less anti-Israel, anti-Zionism, and anti-Semitism if that were the rule. But it isn't the rule, because it's a farce and a fraud. No conservative I know gives two shekels that Soros is Jewish, or probably even knew he was until the left explained it in order to silence criticism of him. The irony is most conservatives probably wish George Soros hewed more closely to his religious Jewish heritage. He'd be more supportive of, more supportive of their causes if he did. How'd this new rule work out, by the way, for Sheldon Adelson, a man who definitely identified as Jewish and supported conservative and Republican causes? Well, all the wealthy anti-Semitic tropes that could be summoned by the left were launched at he and his wife for decades. So it's selective hypocrisy at best. If we can batter conservatives with it, use anti-Semitic tropes. If we can help left-wing causes, invent anti-Semitism as the critique. If you want modern-day analogs to two things, A, how Hitler could rise, and B, what a modern Father Coughlin might sound like, let me try and help out. It would be be taking a man who said these things. Jews are vermin. It would take a man who went to Iran and led a chant, death to Israel, death to America. It would be a man who called Jews satanic and blamed gay sex depicted in movies on the Jews who owned Hollywood. Now, the analog would be to excuse this or brush it under the rug. But that man is Louis Farrakhan, never banned from t Twitter where he has more followers than David Duke and where he sat on a stage two years ago with Bill Clinton, who before getting on stage with him, hugged him. If you want modern-day analogs to Father Coughlin, there you go. If you want an analog at a how, how, a, how a Hitler could be sanitized on his way to power, maybe it would be countenancing and brushing under the rug a man who defended a classic anti-Semitic quote-unquote professor who railed against Jews for being part of the slave trade by saying, if the Jews want to get it on, tell them to pin their yarmulkes back and come over to my house. Maybe it's a man who led a riot against Jews in Brooklyn, inspiring the riot by calling the Jewish community there diamond merchants. That man would be Al Sharpton. What of it being just fine to support people who call themselves Marxists? It was Marx, after all, who wrote something called On the Jewish Question, stating, quote, let us not look for the secret of the Jew and his religion, but let us look for the secret of his religion and the real Jew. What is the secular basis of Judaism, Marx asked? Self-interest. What is the worldly religion of the Jew? Huckstering. What is his world? Money. Close quote. What of members of Congress? How about a member who said the Holocaust gives her a calming feeling? That would be Rashida Tlaib, who just this week introduced a resolution in Congress calling Israel's founding in 1948 a catastrophe. She's been supported and endorsed by the Democratic Congressional Committee and Nancy Pelosi. 
How about a congresswoman who routinely speaks of the Jews as having too much money and power in America and hypnotizes the world and compares Hamas, whose charter is dedicated to killing Jews, to the state of Israel? That would be Ilan Omar, who the DCCC and Nancy Pelosi have endorsed. What of the mosques in America that sell, actually sell books that refer to Jews as pigs and monkeys? All that might be instructive in anti-Semitism and how refusing to call it out can lead to the expansion of its purchase. Perhaps one might even say it sounds like modern-day Father Coughlinism. But those bigots have something that is their insurance policy. They're supportive of the Democratic Party and liberalism in America. And Tucker Carlson isn't. So the ends justify the means. Awful lesson, that. Awful. It's not even a lesson in the classic sense. It's misdirection and propaganda. It's moral immaturity dressed up as wisdom. And that people think this is okay or anything worthy of calling itself education is even sicker. So to weaponize children against conservatism or the Republican Party, they ignore the chief problems because inconvenient to the cause and invent slander through the abuse of language and authority. Two other emblems of socialist and fascist bigotry, by the way, inventing anti-Semitism or bigotry where it doesn't exist and ignoring it where it does. What does that lead to? What lesson is being taught there? C.S. Lewis understood it in criticizing the education fashion where the main problems are ignored in deference to the most of the minor ones. He compared it to running for fire hoses when there's a flood. Let me put this as squarely as I can. If you took Father Coughlin's name off of his writings, anonymized them, and placed them in the offices of Fox News versus the offices of Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, Al Sharpton, or Louis Farrakhan, I can guarantee you they would find succor in the latter and no quarter in the former. Look, I can understand people not liking Tucker's politics. I don't like Kamala Harris's. Doesn't make me anti-black. And we do have more than one point of view about things here in America. That's why we have elections here in America, isn't it? That's why consent of the governed is the key not only to every democracy, but the political, not moral, but political reason. Slavery is intolerable. Yeah, some people believe the following and don't agree with it. Quote, we cannot continue to allow people to enter the United States undetected, undocumented, and unchecked, close quote. Tucker Carlson believes that. Some don't. Guess where that exact line comes from? The 2008 official Democratic Party platform. Good thing this school in Phoenix didn't care about anti-Semitism in 2008. They might have just blamed Barack Obama for fueling it. Clearly, they don't care about it now either, as they are distorting all history and teaching about it in order to promote leftism, because what they care about is promoting that. You can call that the Democratic Party. You can call that the teaching as a revolutionary act. You can call that the work of the Muslim Brotherhood. You just can't call it anti-Semitism or bigotry or even history. Not if you want to call yourselves a school where words and facts and truth mean things. Or where Nazism and communism and propaganda mean things. Shame on those who use our children for their political battles and dress it up as serious and expensive education. Indeed, the corruption of language is followed by the corruption of man. That pedagogy is the beginning of speaking and teaching rot. But that's not what schools in America are for. At least I didn't think so. That's a corruption of what a school is for. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back.
This is the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Went a little long on that last one. Needed to, had to. But uh, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Scott Johnson gets to some serious issues, but with a little bit of humor that um, I thought was just about perfect for today. Remember the phrase grim milestone? Grim milestone. Um, it, was some, it was a phrase the press used a ton during the Trump presidency. The grim milestones retailed by the media always seem to have a political twist, and the political twist always seems to be detrimental to Republicans. If it can't, can't be given a detrimental twist to Republicans, the grim milestone phrase is likely to not be used. For example... The press has proclaimed no grim milestone in inflation under President Biden. Yet this week, prices for gasoline climbed above $4 a gallon in every state for the first time in our history. If you had no aversion to cliches and were in the business of declaring grim milestones, you should have gone to work on it this week. To take another example, the Biden administration has achieved grim milestones in illegal immigration just about every month since it took office. Again, if you thought in cliches and churned out news stories for a living, you probably should have gotten around to recognizing the Biden administration's accomplishments in fostering illegal immigration and getting results that make for a grim milestone or grim milestones. The proclamation of grim milestones has an ideological tilt. The press avoids the task when the grim milestone undermines the left or fails to work that ideological angle. Does the widely recognized grim milestone we have reached in the COVID pandemic, death of Americans attributed to COVID by the CDC when it passed 1 million in the week ending May 14th, does it undermine the case? I don't think so. Biden himself anticipated it in a formal statement on May 12th. He observed that the United States must stay committed to fighting a virus that has forever changed the country. Yes, you may think to yourself it delivered the presidency to you and brought us the grim milestones you have already achieved in your first 18, month, 18 months in office. But luckily for you, Mr. Biden, they won't be declared by your supporters in the Democratic Party's media adjunct. But for the ideological imperative... The grim milestone of a million COVID deaths would prompt the press to sort out that number of deaths that occurred under President Trump. Let's take the number 412,000 set by Our World Data, which relies on Johns Hopkins figures as of January 20th, 2021. Responsibility would be assessed and Biden would be weighed in the balance. Although the last grim milestone in the pandemic has occurred under Biden and Biden himself attributed responsibility for the deaths that occurred during the Trump administration to President Trump, the press has no interest in allocating the responsibility for the one million deaths between Trump and Biden. When Biden declared, quote, anyone who is responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States. We were at 220,000 covid deaths, 220. At the time we crossed the grim milestone of one million deaths attributed to COVID, Biden was responsible for the greater share of the one million than Trump, responsible by Biden's own measure. And this at a time when the disease is no longer novel, when vaccines have been developed, thanks to the MAGA king, when therapeutics are available, and all the rest. Yet no one has posed the question of responsibility to Biden in light of his own measure. If he had a shred of decency, he would resign for his manifest failure by his own measure and indecency by his own measure. 200% increase of deaths on his watch. On the point of responsibility, 
by the way, check out a Newsweek column, Yevgeny Kulichev's. Fact check. Have more Americans died from COVID under Joe Biden than Donald Trump? Kulichev is or was Newsweek's senior editor. He seemed to think it important to sort out, sort out the numbers between Trump and Biden with the grim milestone. Will he revisit the subject now? I'm guessing he won't revisit the subject any time soon. For a study in how to avoid the political uses of the grim milestone, you cannot turn them in your favor. See the U.S. news story, quote, U.S. coronavirus death toll reaches one million as country grapples with how to move forward, close quote. In the story, reporter Cecilia Smith Schoenwalder quoted Biden's May 12th statement marking the grim milestone, as she put it, without further comment. Quote, as a nation, we must not grow numb to such sorrow. To heal, we must remember. In remembrance, let us draw strength from each other as fellow Americans. For while we have been humbled, we never give up, close quote. Is that how they talked about it under Donald Trump? Is that how they talked about it? I have more, including from the New York, uh, New York Times. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. 220,000 Americans dead. If you hear nothing else I say tonight, hear this. Anyone who's responsible for not taking control, in fact, not saying I'm, I take no responsibility initially, anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. If you are looking for a really unique and remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. Y-Refi helps people who are doing their best to dig out a debt the right way by doing the right thing and paying off their debts, doing it with dignity, and seeing amazing FICO score recovery along the way. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really good people who are doing very well by helping others, and you can Two, they are offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. I love these guys. They're really great people. They're locally based. You can visit them. They won't give you a sales pitch. They just love talking about what they're doing, and the power of attraction will attract you as it attracted me. So check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y. Dot com or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Remember all those questions about when the Durham investigation will bring its receipts? Well, folks, how much media attention are you getting on this one? It's in the midst of them. It's in the midst of printing those receipts as we speak. Any time in the Trump administration, any time some kind of scandal materialized or some kind of anonymous leaker from the administration put something out. The narrative was and the mantra was the walls are closing in. I can begin to see the walls closing in. We once ran audio of it. We don't need to find it, Bill, of I think something like 50 times the MSNBC, CNN drive-bys were saying, I think this is the beginning of the walls closing in. Well, as Hinderocker writes, the long-awaited trial of Democratic Party fixer Michael Sussman is underway. Sussman is charged with one count of lying to the FBI, the lie being that when he came to the Bureau, the FBI, with fake information about Donald Trump and Russia, he was acting as a public-spirited citizen and not on behalf of any client. Today, former FBI General Counsel James Baker testified that Sussman told him that, quote, he was not appearing before me on behalf of any particular client, close quote. Further, when Sussman set up the meeting with Baker with a text message, he said, quote, 
I'll be coming on my own, not on behalf of a client or company, just want to help the Bureau, close quote. Okay. As a result, the FBI treated Sussman as a confidential source and not as a lawyer representing a party with an axe to grind. In fact, Sussman was acting for the Hillary Clinton campaign, trying to help her win the presidential election by smearing Donald Trump with an invented claim. We know this for certain because he billed the Clinton campaign for his time. Got it? (laughs) He billed them for his time. Time, he said, was not on behalf of any client. So Sussman is obviously guilty. One thing I don't know, perhaps because I've not paid enough attention to the pretrial filings, John writes, is how far the trial will go into the whole Trump-Russia hoax. Arguably, the broader context isn't very relevant. Sussman told a material lie to the FBI. That means he is guilty, and his guilt is easily proved. It could be a very short trial. The extent to which Sussman's lie and the false information he brought to the Bureau on behalf of the Clinton campaign were part of a broader conspiracy against Trump by the Democratic Party and elements of the FBI, the CIA, the media. And it's arguably irrelevant as a sentence in that I assume the jury won't hear much about that. It's not the way it works in a jury trial. So I don't expect the Sussman trial to shed a lot of light on the aspects, on the full aspects of the Trump-Russia hoax that we don't already know about. The only other suspense in the case really relates to the jury. Presumably, it consists entirely of Democrats. And in D.C., at least some of those Democrats are probably partisans, hysterical partisans. Many observers doubt whether a Democratic jury will vote to convict a Democratic Party operative of lying about Donald Trump to try and win the election for Hillary Clinton, no matter what the evidence shows. But having spent much of my life around juries and being a strong defender of the system, I will lay odds 60-40 that the jury in the Sussman case will do its duty and adjudge him guilty. This should be the first brick in the wall to fall. Not close in, but fall. It does seem that everyone outside the world of Clintondom of the Clinton kingdom, it does seem that everyone pretty much now knows the whole thing about Trump and Russia was a hoax paid for and invented by the Clinton campaign with characters like Sussman and Steele and adjuncts in the FBI and the CIA. I think everyone pretty much who knows anything about this story knows that by now. What they may not think about is how much damage it did to our polity and our politics. How much damage it did. Think about how much time it consumed, how much energy it took, not only to prove that it was a hoax, but that people were willing to buy into this hoax and weaponize it for four years, day in and day out, against an administration that was fully and completely innocent of all of these charges, all of them. It's a little bit like what I was talking about before. A lie about someone was invented, and it took on a general credibility and credence. A lie was invented, and it took on credibility and credence. And it took four years of energy from the Trump administration. When you think about all the accomplishments, all the indices 
of accomplishment under the Trump administration, from international relations to defense to uh, the domestic economy to crime to immigration to drug use to you name it, including unemployment going down to record numbers, especially in the female and minority communities. When you think about all those accomplishments, all of them, think about how much more could have been done if there wasn't the obstruction that we had to inherit from the lies perpetrated, paid for by the Clinton campaign and echoed by the Democratic con- by the Democratic caucus and the media that was their adjunct. Think about how much better of a country we would be, how much more we could have done. I spent a... Um, a lot of time on this show uh, speaking about uh, the history of the conservative movement, the Republican Party. I invoked Ronald Reagan and Barry Goldwater an awful lot. And then we ended up speaking a lot about education, which took me to what Barry Goldwater wrote in his book, The Conscience of a Conservative, when he wrote, We have forgotten that the proper function of the school is to transmit the cultural heritage of one generation to the next generation and to so train the minds of the new generation as to make them capable of absorbing ancient learning and applying it to the problems of its own day, not distorting it. The fundamental explanation of this distortion of values is that we have forgotten that purpose of education, or better, we have forgotten for whom education is intended, not the adults. The function of our schools is not to educate or elevate adults or society, but rather to educate individuals and the youth to equip them with the knowledge that will enable them to take care of society's needs. We have forgotten that a society progresses only to the extent that it produces leaders that are capable of guiding and inspiring progress. To do that, they must be taught truth. And we cannot develop such leaders unless our standards of education are geared toward excellence instead of mediocrity and accuracy instead of falsehood. We must give full reign to individual talents and we must encourage our schools to enforce the academic disciplines and put preponderant emphasis on English, math, history, literature, foreign language, and the natural sciences. We should look upon our schools not as a place to train kids in politics and character of the child. That responsibility belongs to the family and the church, but to train the child in his mind. Could have been written yesterday or an hour ago. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson. God bless you all, and this class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.